Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. got complicated quickly, didn't they? What I mean by that is that when Jesus led his apostles about and, and when he preached to them, it was all about love and taking care of each other. And in fact, whenever Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength. And the second one he said is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself, that within these two are all of the law and the prophets. All of the, all the rules can be condensed to love God, love others. Now, that seems rather simple. Well, even if we go to the longest sermon we've got from Jesus, which is the Sermon on the Mount, what do we see? We don't see much in a way of fanfare or ecclesiastical setup. What we see is love people. And if you don't love people, here's the damage it causes. So love people. And then we have the judgment scene, the only judgment scene given to us by somebody who's actually gonna be running the judgment scene. That's in Matthew 25. And when he turns to people and he says, you fed me, you clothed me, you visited me when I was in prison, you took care of me when I was sick, come on into glory. Never a mention of all the ecclesiastical stuff. When I would go through mainland Europe um, as, as a young boy and as a teen, frequently, I would see all of the cathedrals. Now, I'm not a barbarian. I love art. I love beauty. I love the music. You walk into Notre Dame, you walk into the, the, the Cathedral of Cologne or the like, and you look up, or Westminster, which is not a cathedral, it's a chapel church, but everybody calls it a cathedral. You walk in and you see the nave and you see the arches and you see all the art. I've never been to Italy. I hope one day maybe to get to go, but I've certainly seen the pictures. And how, how could you not be blown away by all that? It's beautiful. And yet, have you ever wondered, how did it get this complicated when Jesus didn't even have a place to lay down to call his own? How did all of this framework and people and stuff get wrapped into it. Well, here's the thing. It didn't take long. We started as a community of house churches and neighborhoods, and we, um, we then come across Constantine. Now, Constantine did a lot of harm to the church, but he may have done some good, so it's, it's hard to, I don't, I don't like piling on too much. And no, he didn't make Christianity the official religion of Rome. That didn't happen until uh, Theodorus later. Um, he did become a Christian, nominally at least. We, uh, who, who are we to question? But that was not until very late in his life. His wife was a devout believer, and I'm sure that had some uh, impact upon things. But Constantine wanted everything precise and nailed down because he wanted a religion that was controllable. That's a key word here. It got complex because 
people wanted to control it. Very much like Aaron, when he built the golden calf in the desert, said, this is Yahweh. You know, he wasn't trying to get you to worship cattle. He was saying, no, no, this is a controllable, understandable God. Well, Constantine wanted the doctrines nailed down, the procedures nailed down, who's in charge nailed down. He wanted all of that. The, you, know, you, you couldn't go out of your, your line of command there. Everything had to be nailed down, and so you had the councils. But the people who arrived at the councils did not arrive with simplicity and love. Instead, they were people who came from a world of Plato and Aristotle, a pre-scientific world, and therefore they made everything they touched needlessly complex. We're gonna use, for example, a passage written by Augustine, or Augustine as he's usually called, one of the great early fathers of the church that really codified the way the Western church, the Roman Catholic church, would see things and do things from then on. He did not argue much from scripture. Uh, he quoted scripture. It was rather loosey-goosey with the way he did it. Uh, and he quoted from really bad manuscripts of scripture. We now, well, we can look at it and go, wow, he picked the wrong one. He picked outliers when the vast bulk of manuscripts would read a different way and perhaps have led him to a different place. So we're gonna use him and then we're gonna use something very, very complex as our illustration, all right? When we read the Bible, there is this amazing mystery that comes right out of the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but the word God there in the Hebrew is Elohim, which is plural. Now some will say, well, that's um, the royal we, you know, as if um, King Charles would be going, we do not find this in, you know, or we, don't, we are not amused to refer to himself as the collective uh, British people or the crown. I'm not buying that one because later on in the story, God says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And I've had people say, well, that was God talking to the angels. Angels didn't create anything and we're not made in the likeness of angels. That doesn't work. But if God is talking Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then we've got a group. We've got a group there. Now, what do we do with that group? Where'd that group come from? Did it start with the Father and then he somehow gave birth to the Spirit and to, to a son? Um, how, and all of these questions come up. And through the years, Christians have understood in most fellowships that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all three. They are separate and yet they are one. That sounds impossible, it sounds silly, until you get into things like quantum physics and you realize three things being one thing at the same time. Even things that contradict each other is something we find in physics. When you go real big or you go real small, you gotta deal with quantum physics. And what's bigger than God? So I have no problem at all being a Trinitarian. And I have friends, however, who struggle with it because it's not precisely detailed laid out in scripture. And it is not. It is something you must gain from inference. I believe the inference is justified. So I, I'm Trinitarian. But I have a couple of friends, not a whole lot who've actually come out to me, but a couple of friends who've said that they believe that Jesus is deity. 
but that he was, when he was begotten, he was born off of God. In other words, he did not coexist eternally with the Father, but he was created by the Father as the first fruits of all creation. There's enough evidence for that in scripture that I can understand how they got there. I don't go that same direction. I think the evidence points elsewhere. But again, have you looked at what Jesus said was important? Love God, love each other. Sermon on the Mount, treat the people with love, dignity, respect. Don't hold on to what you've got. Share your money, share your stuff with anybody who has need. Look at Acts chapter two. When the people were baptized, what was the first thing they did? They met together in each other's houses. They made sure nobody had any needs. They shared everything they had with everyone else. And then you look at Matthew 25 and you shared with the poor, you shared with those in prison, you shared with the sick, come on into heaven. How do we get from that to you've got to understand the Trinity the way I understand the Trinity or you're a heretic? I was recently sent a multi-page, hang on, I actually had to physically number it because it wasn't numbered uh, in the document, but it's got about 32 pages, argument on the Trinity. Now, the person who sent it to me is a good friend, and they weren't trying to stir up anything. They were just saying, what do you think of this? And they were showing the battle between the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church over how the Spirit arrive, are they one, is God one? I wanna tell you I'm about to do something which is gonna bore you to tears. And it's not going to enlighten you at all. I'm just gonna read you something which people were already doing a few hundred years after Jesus' death, what they were doing to his religion. Augustine here is thinking, is making what he believes is a very powerful argument about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet, it sounds like Plato and Aristotle as voiced by somebody in a pre-scientific world. It is mindlessly complex and unhelpful. But then I'm gonna come back, wrap it up, and let you go, okay? But now it is not one thing that makes him great and another that makes him God. What makes him great is what makes him God. Because for him, it is not one thing to be great and another to be God. So it will follow, presumably, that the Father is not God taken singly, but only with and taken together with the Godhead he has begotten. So the Son will be the Godhead of the Father, just as he is the wisdom and power of the Father, and just as he is the word and image of the Father. And furthermore, because it is not one thing for him to be and another for him to be God, it follows that the Son will also be the being of the Father, just as he is his word and image. This means that apart from being Father, the Father is nothing but what the Son is for him. It is clear, of course, that he is only called Father because he has a Son, since he's not called Father with reference to himself, but with reference to the Son. But now we are forced to say, in addition, that it is only because he has begotten his own being, or isness, that he is what he is with reference to himself. And just as he is only great with greatness, he is begotten, because for him it's not one thing to be and another to be great, are we not then forced to say that he is father of his own being, just as he is father of his own greatness, just as he is father of his own power and wisdom? For without doubt, his greatness is the same as his power and being the same as his greatness. Well, take that with you and let that comfort you in your sickbed. <laughs> what? What? 
and this goes on and on. This is his book on the Trinity, chapter seven. Um, chapter seven? No, book seven, chapter one. And he wrote a lot. And this is about as clear as he ever got. And he was wrong. He made it complex. What you believe about the Trinity is not what Jesus is going to ask you on the last day. He's just going to look and God's going to say, do you know them? And Jesus is going to say, yes, he knows you. Why? Because you loved one another. Our church, our safe harbor is incredibly simplistic. It's a workload, let me tell you, but it's simplistic. We just tell the story of Jesus. We give people freedom in Christ. And as we often say, we're the heart pumping this out to you, but you have your brain. We're not your brain. You do with Jesus what needs to be done where you are, with what you have, with the people that God has placed in front of you. That's it. Love one another. And we're sticking with that. We believe that what Jesus did was simplify and give to us what we needed to walk humbly with God. And that's what we're going to do. It didn't need to be this complicated. It doesn't need to be as complicated as it is now with denominational rules, boards, and orders of command. It doesn't need to be that way. Be free in Christ. And as Galatians 5 says, don't let anyone rob your freedom in Christ. Be free to love one another. Let's go to it. See you next Monday.